on the Lord this morning and give him some praise. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, the gospel of Mark chapter 10. We're finishing up today our final point of our message series entitled Focus. Remember we spoke several weeks ago, starting about in the perilous times in which we live, that we have to realize that we've got to take a stand for something. The Ephesians writer, Paul says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And he speaks about girding yourself up with the truth of God's word and standing on that foundation of God's word and, and all that comes through the armor of God. And of course, most importantly, taking the sword of the spirit, our only offensive weapon. But having said that, today we just kind of look towards all of the chaos in the world and everything that's unfolding before us and realize that there are five things that we need to stand on. These five things were the, the catalyst, if you will, behind the Protestant Reformation with a man named Martin Luther uh, as he began to unfold the book of Romans and realized that it wasn't about keeping all of these things in line with the Roman Catholic Church. It was about five things, irreducible truths, starting, of course, that we're saved by what? Grace alone. It's by the grace of God, the merit of God, that we stand right before him. That he who knew no sin became our sin, that we may be made right with God through Christ. Secondly, we do so through the vehicle of faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Everybody say, through faith. And so it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and ultimately the object of our faith, the object of our affection, the object of all things Christianity to be like Christ is that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. There is no other way. John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. There's no other antics. There's no plan B. There's no other hope for the world. The reality is, is when we push all of these other things to the side, and you're going to see that today, that it's really found in the person of Jesus and him alone, the name under heaven which by men must be saved, the, knee, the, the name by which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he alone is Lord. Here's the reality. You will kneel before him in one of two ways, either as a child of the Most High God, where he says, enter ye in, all of you, and all that I prepare for you, and enjoy. The Bible says, eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor is entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, the hope is, is that the other people that we begin to share our faith with, you heard Pastor David say this a moment ago, it's about fulfilling the Great Commission. It's about telling people. Every kindred, every nation, every tongue. Uh, Mark's gospel says every creature, every creation. And the reality is, is some people will kneel before him, falling flat of their face, crying out with everything that they've ever done. I was this, I was that, I did this, I did that. And he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Revelation 21, 4 says, and then he shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There'll be some more, no more sorrow, no pain, no crying, no more death. Why are we crying in heaven? I know the rock song says there's no tears in heaven. Well, the Bible says otherwise. Do you know why we're crying? Because we will be standing with Jesus, the righteous judge, as all of those people. The Bible says there'll be more than man can number that will be cast into the lake of fire for eternal damnation, separation from God into the second death. And we will see it. And here's when we will know truly the fullness of all the things that we miss here on this earth. Now, this is not a browbeating moment, but the hope is, is that when I walk some by someone in the grocery store, I see someone in the elevator, or I see somebody that I may not care for, the reality is, is the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and tells you to share your faith, then you and I have a duty, a responsibility, and may I say a high privilege to share our faith with them that they may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
And then we talked about by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. But watch this. According to the scriptures alone. That is the book. That is the hope of the nation. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. The only hope for mankind is found in the Word of God. You're not going to find it in the Constitution, though I love it. You're not going to find it in the preamble. You're not going to find it in the Bill of Rights. You're not going to find it in any writing aside from the Word of God. And then finally, today, I want to finish with this. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today that you hold above your own name. Help us today to rightly divide it in power and in truth for life change. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, hallelujah. That one doesn't flow off the lips like amen, does it? Let's try that again. Everybody say hallelujah. Y'all sound Pentecostal now. All right, here's the deal. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. I want to read some verses to you, and I want you to listen to these words as they unfold. And then I'm going to break this down for us in a very simple, but I believe very profound manner. God has spoken this into my heart this week, and I was able to pen it this morning. I did not stutter. Really, this morning I penned this. But God's been speaking to me all week about this message. It says, now when he was going out of the road, one came running. And knelt before him and asked, good teacher, some translations say Adonai, some say master, that's not a problem. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said unto him, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered unto him, and I might would add a little caveat here, emphatically, watch what he says. He says, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. He's getting pumped up now. He's thinking, man, I'm about to get into the eternal kingdom of Jesus. Watch what he says. I have kept all of these things from my youth. Then Jesus looked at him and loved him. Aren't you glad that God looks at you with love in his heart? He doesn't see what you are. He sees what you can be through him. Watch what he says. And he loved him and he said to him, one thing you lack. Everybody say, one thing you lack. Because we're coming back to that. He says, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come. Watch what he says. The invitation, come. Take up your cross. Take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad. He was dismayed. He was hurt. He was frowned. He was angry. He was sad at his word. And he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. I want to give you three things really quickly this morning to unfold this passage of Scripture entitled the message this morning, Almost a Follower. Almost a Follower. How many times do we come so close to the edge to be a follower of Adonai, the Master, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world, who has given me an invitation to follow Him, and I come right to the edge. Watch this. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we have all come short the glory of God. That word come doesn't mean that I came short. It doesn't mean I will come short. It's in an aorist tense, which in the Hebrew language and Greek language means I am coming short daily, moment by moment. But watch this. What I deserve is death, but God commended his love to me that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He made me right despite my evil ways. But watch this. To be almost a follower, this young rich ruler was called in the same fashion as Peter. 
in the same fashion as Nathaniel, in the same passion, in the same calling as the other disciples, yet watch this, he almost made it. He got face to face with Jesus Christ, calling him to be a disciple, to be, I submit to you, an apostle. And yet he missed it by that far. Almost a follower. Let me give you this real quick. It's not good enough to just be passionate. It's not good enough just to have a heart. Now, see, that goes against the grain of everything we've ever preached because the Bible says, guard your heart, Solomon told his son, with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Of life. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. But I submit to you today that in this text, watch what he said. He said, now he was going, speaking of Jesus, out on the road, and one came running. One came, when was the last time you ran to Jesus? When was the last time you were so passionate that you didn't care who got in your way, you didn't care what was going on, that you dropped everything and said, that's the one I want to get close to, and you ran to him. And, man, I tell you what, church would spark revival if people would get up and just run to Jesus. And kneel down before his throne. I appreciate so much what Pastor David preached last week. Do you know why people don't have change in their life? It's because they're living a life. Watch this. And I don't mean this to be defaming to you. But you're living a life that is trying to get something new all the while trying to do the same things. That's insanity by definition. You keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. But when we throw everything to the wind and run to Jesus, well, Mark, what's the problem then? What's the problem? The problem is, is you can be passionately wrong. You can be a passionate football fan. Any Georgia fans out there, wave your hand at me like you just don't care. And I would name all the other college teams, but really don't care. But here's the thing. <laughs> you can be passionate. Check this out. Please hear me. Do you know that the world cults, world, I don't even call them religions, the world cults of this world are some of the most passionate people in the entire face of the earth. But they're passionately wrong. You can have a heart that says, hey, I'll be willing to put on a pair of black pants and a white shirt and, and a pin thing, and I'll be able to, you know, band, you know how they tie that thing around so they don't get caught in the sprocket. They'll ride bicycles house to house to house, and you and I won't just pass them by and say, would you come to my church? We're not even asking you to go door to door. We ought to be doing that because we hold truth. We hold the, the key to life. And yet people are propagating a lie door to door to door, house to house. They are passionately wrong. Passionately. It does, it's not enough just to be passionate. It's not enough. Secondly, it's more than just being good. In fact, if you study and get into the Word of God in the beginning of all things sin, in the fall of the garden, I want you to notice that there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the evil side of that that drew Eve to take upon it. What did the Bible say? She saw that it was good. It was pleasing to her. She desired it. James says a man is sins, not when God tempts him, because God doesn't tempt man with evil, nor can man be tempted that way. He's tempted when he's drawn away of his own desire, his own lust. Do you know why we sin today? Because it is stinking appealing. It looks good. We've sold a bill of goods to the church at large today in our culture by horror movies and all this stuff. Are demons real? You, you can bet they're real. Are angels real? You can bet they're real. But can I tell you something? I don't have to fear those things. They can't come in and possess me. I'm a child of the king. You can't touch me. I am bought with a price. I don't even belong to myself. 
But watch it. I know a few of you applaud. I'll tell you when you start applauding, when you feel like there's a voice in your bedroom at night and you're trying to go to sleep, you're like, I just remember what Mark said. I'm a child of the king. I was bought by the price. Then you'll know. Yeah, you'll get real then. Come and say, thanks for that message, Pastor. But see, here's the thing. Watch what he said. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit? Jesus said, why do you say that I'm good? There's none good but God. Now, there's a lot of people that have taken this and just destroyed this from a Bible standpoint. Theologically, are we saying that Jesus is not good? Oh, that's not what we're saying at all. But you got to understand, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark comes at the angle of writing about Jesus as a servant. And so what what Jesus is doing here is he is subservient himself. He's placing himself beneath the Father. He did that himself. That's the theology of kenosis, that he emptied himself, not out of being deity. He was fully God, but he was fully man, hypostatic union. They both coexisted together. But watch this. He, he, He allowed himself to not be like the Father, that he may live as a human, as a man, so that we may connect with him and associate with him. Why did he say that? I'm not good, only God in heaven. Because if you go and read Luke's account of this same story, you'll see that Jesus told a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. A tax collector in the day were much more hated than IRS agents in our culture. Okay? But they were hated. It was a curse, if you will. And and, and the Bible says through through the parable in Luke, I think it's chapter 18, he says that there was a Pharisee, he walked in and said, I have fasted, I have given, I have prayed, I have done all these things. Thank God that I'm not like this publican. I'm not like this tax collector. He was self-righteous. He was banking on good and being good to get to heaven. And Jesus rebuked him because the tax collector walked up and says, Have pity on me, for I am a sinner. So if you draw a line between Luke's account In Mark's account, you'll start to understand. If you read Matthew's account, you'll even get a bigger picture. Because that's the story right before these verses unfold in Matthew's account. Because it is found, by the way, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not found in John, obviously. But in Matthew's account, that's when the children came and rushed Jesus and began to climb upon him like you would your dad, your Abba Father, your daddy, and climbed upon him, and they rebuked him and pushed him back. And he said, no, 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 suffer not the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. He was saying it wasn't about you being good and being a disciple. If you think that, disciple, you have missed it completely. In fact, you need to come as a child. It's not okay just to be good. In fact, I submit to you today that you can try to be good all that you want to. But good is not what makes you right with God. How are we saved? By grace alone. You're not good enough to gain heaven for a home. But here's the beauty in that. If that's true, and it is, because I've read it, then you're not bad enough to lose it. See, it's not based on your merit. When the church grabs on to the truth... That were saved by grace, which is upon his merit. He lived a perfect, sinless life, so you and I won't have to. Now, does that give us, watch this, if we're not careful, we step into this grace evangelical freedom movement of free grace, and we abort the idea that, listen, I don't live a life set apart unto God because I have to. I set my life apart and read the word and study and love Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength because I get to. Because of what he's done. So what do you do, Mark, when you fail? 1 John 1, 9, I love that verse. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just. Aren't you glad he's faithful and he's just? To forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of, say it with me, all unrighteousness. 
If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That word literally means new creation. He's making us new every day. The Bible says that we're to walk in the newness of life daily. We're to walk from faith to faith. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. The reality is, is when we try to live a life that's good, here's what we do, Keith, if we're not careful. When we try to live a life that's good, really what we do is I marry my goodness up to my neighbor's good, and I look at the majority and say, well, if I'm better than than this group of people, and I'm better than you guys, and I'm a little better than this crowd over here, then guess what? I must be doing all right. The Bible calls that a broad way. The Bible says many there will find it, but its path leads to destruction. The narrow way is when I get my eyes off of what you're doing and put my focus on what I'm doing for the glory of God, and I walk a narrow way. See, even as a pastor, y'all get a little nervous because I'm at the end, aren't you? I've done this before. I mean, it's nothing. All right. When I live my life as a pastor, I don't live my life to God as a pastor. I live my life to God as a child of God. And the only thing I have to marry my life up with, and this is a... The only thing is the life of Jesus. Philippians 2 said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself, even though he was equal to God, found the grasp of that not within his reach, so that he humbled himself even to the point of the cross. If I think I'm good, because we do that. We do that down here in, 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 in middle Georgia, south Georgia, redneck east. We, we think, I'm a pretty good old boy. I'm a pretty good gal. No, you're not. The Bible says there's none righteous, not one. So when I marry my life up to the Scripture, then I realize being good is not good enough. And then lastly, as the band comes, and I'm not done, but I want them to go ahead and move because I want to bring this all together. It's not enough to be passionate because you can be passionately wrong. And passion fails. You see people coming to the church, and man, I've seen it a thousand times, brother. I've seen it a thousand. People come in, and they, they're back handspringing off the pews and running and praising God and everything. But then when difficulty hits them in the face, passion is lost and thrown to the wind. Passion alone can't make you right with God. Now, I do believe, watch this, I do believe that every child of God is passionate. I believe everybody who's right with God, walking with God, praying and meditating on the Word, I believe they are passionate people as a default mechanism. But I don't believe every passionate person is right with God. Let me say that again. Every person that's right with God is absolutely passionate. But not every passionate person is right with God. Secondly, as I said, it's not okay just to be good. Because unfortunately, good oftentimes is married up against someone else's good. And then thirdly, it's more than just following rules. Jesus said... You know the commandments, and he, and he mentions six of the ten here. And listen to the ones he used. It was about moral stuff. It was about moral decay. Watch what he says. He says, don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your mother and your father. And he answered and said to him, teacher, Adonai, master, I've done all those things, so we're good. Was he really saying that in order To be right with God, you have to keep the commandments. That's contradictory if that was true. In fact, we know that that's not at all what he was doing. He didn't mention, for example, commandment number one, that thou shalt have no other gods before me. You see where we're going? He didn't mention, I think, the tenth one, which says, thou shalt not covet. 
You see, he, he, he left out the four that really deal, keeping that holy, the, the seventh day Sabbath. He, he left out the holiness aspect of the Ten Commandments because the reality is, and I hope you know this, there were not just ten rules. There were 613, thou shall and thou shall not. Mosaic law, Levitical law. I mean, so much that it would blow your mind. And here's what he said in Scripture. Okay, fine. New Testament writers, you know what they said? You want to live by the law? You want to marry your life up with the law? Cool, that's not a problem. Then you have to keep every single one of them, and not just 10, but 613. Oh, and oh, by the way, if you break just one of them, you've broken them all. Don't raise your hand. Do not raise your hand. Church, don't raise your hand. How many of you ever told a lie? Don't raise your hand. then you're a liar. How many of you have ever looked upon someone with lust in your heart? You're an adulterer. You've broken two of them right there. You ever taken anything ever in your life that didn't belong to you? You're a thief. You've stolen. And that's just an easy way to fashion in, not even the Levitical law that wouldn't even allow me to look upon someone without somebody jabbing my eye out. Or if I take something, cutting off my hand. Let's just get to the irreducible ten. But if I just broke one of them, I bear false witness and I lied. I'm a liar. And therefore, I'm a murderer in the eyes of a holy God. You see, the law and the commandments and rules proved to me that I could not be saved aside from Jesus. Because he came and lived and fulfilled. Didn't abort the laws. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the commandments. The only one to ever live that was good. And what, what, what Jesus was doing here was placing himself in humility under the Father. But make no mistake about it, fully equal with God. But it wasn't okay for him to just be good. Because then we get into that last part. So if it's not enough to be passionate, it's not enough to be good, it's more than following rules, then then what is it really to be a Christ follower? It's pushing through your hang-ups. One thing you lack, dot, dot, dot. What do you lack today? What do you lack? Are you a child of God? How many of you are saved? You've asked Jesus into your heart. You're a child of the Most High God. Wave your hand up. What do you lack? What are you missing for being a true Christ follower? For walking in the peace that passes all understanding? What is it that's holding you back? Celebrate Recovery says it this way, that there are hurts, hang-ups, and habits. There are things that we placed, commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What was his God? Go your way and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure. And He would have been an apostle. A Christ follower. He would have gone down in the annals of history and the inspired word of God. We don't even know his name. Do you know why? Because no, it doesn't matter if you're almost a follower. You might as well just not be born. Oh, but Mark, but I'm saved. Being a child of God, a bride of Christ. I'm the husband of Stephanie, my hot mama. And here's the thing. The reality is, 
is we have to have fellowship. We have intimacy. We have conversation. We take life and journey it together. To be a Christ follower, to be a bride of Christ, I will walk with Him. I will commune with Him. I will know Him in an intimate fashion. I will love Him. I will want relationship with Him. To just say that I'm saved and I'm standing here and I prayed a prayer back in 1984 and that everything's right and then I can just live the way I want to live. Guys, I'm, I'm afraid that's not what this teaches. It's about praying a prayer in faith. Stepping into the measure of His grace according to the Scriptures by Jesus and His Word and His finished work on the cross. But for the glory of God alone. One thing you lack, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, pick up your cross, and follow me. And he went away sorrowful. What one thing do you lack today? What are you holding on to? What have you made a God in your own life before the God in heaven? Because you've heard it said here many times, you're wired to worship something. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. His firmament screams of His handiwork. In Ephesians 2.8 and then of course 10, it says, You are His greatest workmanship. You are His masterpiece. Created unto good works before the beginning of time that you should walk in them. James says faith without works is dead. So wait a minute, Mark, all this rhetoric, all this stuff, is it about being good? Is it about works? No, it's because I'm a child of God, because I want to honor God, because I want to give Him glory, that I want to find out what it is I can do to reflect that to a lost and dying world, that they may be not see my light because I'm not the light. I'm merely a reflector of His light. And I want people to know... I want people to hunger and to thirst after righteousness because they see me drinking and feasting from the well and eating the bread of life. I want them to be hungry for a connection with God because they see the difficulty in my life. Yet, watch this, I have peace that passes understanding. In spite of the world. Hey, Mark, what if the economic society collapses tomorrow? So, I'll worship my Jesus. What if your candidate doesn't get elected? The good news is, I don't have one. I'm trusting Jesus. What if? Just what if? What if you don't hit 500 and, and, and maintain? What if you don't grow? What if the bill, we don't break ground by August 1st? So, because the reality is, is my eyes are fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. I have turned my affection off of this world and place them on the ones above. What do you believe in God for today? Is it a church? Is it a marriage? There are marriages in this room, multiple, that are that far. It's epidemic. Not a day goes by in my office that I don't speak to someone about a marriage that's literally failing. What are you lacking? What are you holding on to? The greatest covenant that shows us a glimpse into what Jesus is to us is the covenant of your marriage. You believe in God for wayward children. You raised them up. You prayed with them. You believed with them. 
anointed them, you prayed over them, and they've hit the streets running in the opposite direction. Mom, I want to tell you, don't give up. God's speaking. God's speaking. Believing God for some personal deliverance. I feel like the Holy Spirit just laid this in my heart, and I want to, I want to say this. Maybe there's some men and women, some young people in here that are battling pornography addiction. Because, wow, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when we went to school, there weren't computers like that. And now you can open up a world of decay and a world of sin and a world of chaos just by the push of a button. And you've made it a part of your life and you want out. What do you lack? Let that go. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. I wish I had a backpack in closing. I wish I did. Because I, I believe with all of my heart from illustration, I believe today we all walked in here with a backpack of stuff. Hurts, hang-ups, habits. Things that are preventing us from being a true follower of Christ. We, we brought it in today, and nobody saw it because we wear it well. I mean, we don't, even, we don't even drag a foot or anything. We're just walking in. Everything looks clean. We're, we're pressed. Everything's awesome. But we're wearing this monkey on our back that's full of stuff that we want to just get rid of. And we want to live a life that's free. I, I, I want to believe that, Mark, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. That word means entirely in all aspects of my life. I really want to believe that, Mark, but I got this junk on my back. Here's what you do. You become passionate. Like that guy did, but passionate towards the truth of Jesus Christ. Right where you sit, you put that junk on your back. Just pick it up. You laid it down up under your seat probably. You don't want anybody to see it. Pick it up, put it on your back, and get up and walk to the altar and get right here and kneel before the throne of Jesus and say, I'm laying it at your feet today. And oh, please do this. Don't pick that back up and walk back out here with it. About 4 o'clock, some of y'all be knocking on the door. Go, hey, I need to go get my junk. And Jesus is saying, no, I died for that. I paid for that. You really can let go of that today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I hope you're not living today as a hope-so gospel. I pray today that you're not living, sitting there saying, man, I hope I'm saved. I, I hope I go to heaven when I die. The Bible says we don't serve a hope so, God. He said, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Whosoever, in Romans 10, 13, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Mark, I thought you said it's not a magical prayer. It's not. It's just praying a prayer in faith and by His grace, through Jesus alone, by the measure of faith, for the glory of God. According to the Scriptures, He'll save you right here and right now. He'll redeem you. He'll set you free. The old has passed away. Would you pray with me? If you want to know Jesus as the Lord of your life today, pray with me right now from your heart to God. Dear God in heaven, I believe in Jesus, that He died on a cross for my sin. Today, Dear Jesus, I repent of all my sin. I turn away from that life. And today, I ask you to save me. I invite you into my heart. Be the Lord over my life. Help me to live for you until the day I call you, you call me home. 
In Jesus' name, I pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed today and invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to be the Savior of your soul, I want you to lift your hand right now. Don't even hesitate. Lift it up right now. Lift it up. Lift it up high. Lift it. God bless you, sir, and you, ma'am. Anybody else? Just lift it up high. Lift it up. Lift it up. How many of you sitting there today say, Mark, I just want to be honest with you. I got a hang up. Maybe it's not an addiction. Maybe it's just forgiving someone. Maybe it's a bitterness. Maybe it's a hurt where long ago you were hurt by someone else and you carry that with you every single day. You got a hang up that's disallowing you from being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. I wonder, would you just be real honest with me today? I think we all have them. Would you just lift your hand? No one look and lift it up and say, Mark, I got a hang up. Hands are going up all over the room. Hold them up for just a moment. Let God see your, your hand that went up. Hold them up. Hold them up. If your hand's up, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell it all, give it to the poor, and follow me. Here's the only thing I'm asking you to do today. If you have a hang-up right now, right this second, not later, not next week, not when you figure it out, I want you right now, if you have a hang-up and you lifted your hand, I want you to get up from where you're sitting, come to this altar, run to Jesus, Get down here and let one of these men and women pray with you. That's it. You don't have to join anything. You don't have to say anything. People are coming now. I know that it's hard to take one step. I get it. I get it. But just take one step. Husbands, if your marriage is in trouble, you lead the way. Mamas, your child is wayward, come to Jesus. Business owner, trying to find a way, come now. Couples that are about to get married, you definitely need to be down here just bathing that thing in prayer. The last invitation. I just believe with all of my heart that there's a gentleman in this room, maybe more than one, that is on the verge of walking out of something. Just to hang up. Again, not maybe an addiction, just a forgiveness or some sort. There's a gentleman in this room that just is about to bust wide open, and he knows the moment I said that who I'm talking to. So when I invite everyone to stand, sir, if that's you. Or if God just spoke to your heart today, Pastor David's here, I'll be over here, Pastor Tyler's here, we've got deacons down front, I'll be standing down front, just come shake my hand, turn and walk away, just to acknowledge that God saw your heart. On the count of three, I want you to come, and I want everyone to stand to their feet on the count of three, one, two, three, everyone stand, everyone stand. The doors of our church stand open. If you'd like to be a part of our fellowship here, we'd love to have you. But sir, if God has spoken to you today, you know the moment I said that, that it was you, and you're terrified, and I get it, I know that feeling. But just come, be the leader, be the catalyst of revival in your own home, maybe in our community, maybe in this church, but come right now, sir, and just come shake her hand, and turn around and walk back to your seat.